0: So just a word of context before we read this story. Um, Since Acts chapter 8, as you know, if you've been following along as we've been teaching this uh, book, uh, the good news of the risen Jesus has gone from Jerusalem, and there was that persecution, and so it began to go outside uh, to Judea, outside Jerusalem, and into Samaria, up north of Jerusalem, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, to go to Samaria was a little bit startling, because of the animosity between the Jewish community and the Samaritan community. There was religious animosity and there was also racial prejudice because most folk think that the Samaritan community uh, began with the intermarrying of the different peoples that were uh, planted in Israel um, uh, during the Assyrian captivity and also uh, when folk migrated back to Israel that had been to Assyria, been carted off, They intermarried, and so they weren't of purely Jewish blood, and so there was also racial prejudice. Yet, yet, the Samaritans still worshiped Yahweh. They still held the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, to be sacred, and they still had Jewish blood in them. And so you can almost say, okay, if you're a good Jew and you believe the church is just supposed to be for the Jews at this point, it's it's considered by Rome to be a, a Jewish sect, if you will, then you could find yourself saying, all right, we'll, we'll hang with, tolerate, try to get along with the Samaritans. But then Acts 9 happens. And in Acts 9, uh, this Christian persecuting uh, Pharisee named Saul is radically converted, knocked literally on his can by a vision of the risen Jesus. And you notice in chapter 9, verse 15, the purpose is stated there of why this man is being uh, touched by Christ, and it says, He has been chosen to bear my name before the Gentiles. Now we're talking a whole different ball game. Because remember, one principle that held the warring Pharisees, Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, those various groups, of first century Judaism that really hated one another. They had different ways of believing that they were to prepare for the Messiah's coming and deal with Rome. One thing that held them uh, together and brought them unity when Pilate says, what do you want me to do with this one named Jesus? The reason that all of them together, though they hated one another, could say crucify him is because one thing they had in common is that they were all for the Jews. Anyone who was not a Jew, again, even the Samaritans were part Jew, so they could tolerate that. But if you were not a Jew, that made you a Gentile. Uh, the, uh, the goyim is, is the ancient word. Uh, you were other. You weren't uh, of us, and so you are out. Whereas Jesus, of course, um, in his ministry on the planet, showing who the Father really is, had his arms open to everyone. So even you might... Uh, look over at Acts chapter 11, if you're to Acts 10 right, look at Acts eleven nineteen, 19, um, where uh, Chris uh, Ratcliffe is going to preach this next week, the Antioch church. It says, those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, Antioch. Look at this, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. You and I have no idea how much uh, racial and religious prejudice there was in first century Judaism toward this group called the Gentiles, which basically was anybody that ain't like us, doesn't have our blood, doesn't come from Abraham, doesn't do God like we do him. Absolutely, they were out to the point that even though they now believed in the resurrected Jesus, when they went into a new community, if there was a Gentile there, they'd be going like, this really isn't for you because the church is going to be Jewish. The Messiah has come to redeem Israel. And so, when we get to Acts 10, Luke, in his literary style, I can't even emphasize to you how, how powerful Acts 10 is. He puts right up in our face um, God's intent to reach literally everyone, that no one, has ever intended to have been excluded by the heart of our God, who John says literally, if you're going to describe him, he is love. So would you stand, please? I think you can stand long enough for me to read this story. Usually I would not read this entire story, but as I tried to cut and paste this week and in my study, um, I just couldn't. I just couldn't. So we're going to read it, and then I'm going to say, uh, three things about it. And let me just, this too for us emotionally. You know, when I'm not here, usually I'm traveling, trying to um, make enough money to deal with when I go part-time here because that's just that's the way we have to do it now. So just so you know. But in my travels in the body of Christ, whether they're covenant churches or different retreats or whatnot, what I still feel some six months now almost after the election is an inordinate focus by the body of Jesus Christ that claims that we follow a king of a kingdom, an inordinate focus on what's going on in D.C. Now look, I've got my own politics. I, 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 I evaluate what I think is righteous and unrighteous. And, and so I'm not saying that we shouldn't look at something and say, and you've heard me preach this before, that is unrighteous. I will stand against that you will not make me do that because that's not the way our God says things are to be done. Hear that clearly. And so it's not like we should bury our heads in the sand and not look at what's going on around us circumstantially or shall I say even politically, but an inordinate focus on what's going on there as if they can control there the kingdom of God. Are you kidding me? So as I don't know if that's where you're living, I don't know if you're rendering unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, but unto God that which is God's. But if you're not, that's what I'm calling us to today. We're going through Acts not to see like how the early church kind of did their little thing. And we might learn a few little lessons. We're going through Acts to see how the kingdom of God overturned Rome, dealt with Nero. We're trying to figure out whether this kingdom of God thing is real. And if it is, what did they do that we are supposed to be about if Jesus is not just our our Christian sugar daddy, if he is our king, what does it mean? Are we together in this? Okay. If not, you're going to think I'm all over your hides this morning, but I'm not. I'm just saying we can't play with this. Either the kingdom of God is here to spread light and health and to deal with the rot or let's go home, shut the doors, and do something better with our money and with our time and our hearts. Okay, here we go. Acts chapter 10. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared the true God, Israel's God with all his household who gave alms generously to the people. He gave, you know, he was a guy who gave away his money to people that needed it and prayed to God always. Well, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid. Of course he was. And said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up for a memorial before the true God. Now, I want you to send men down the coast of the Mediterranean Sea to Joppa and send to Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging. He's staying with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea, and he's going to tell you what you have to do. When the angel spoke to him left, Cornelius called two of his household servants and one other soldier who was a devout guy like him and uh, who was waiting on him continually, and when he would explained everything, he sent that crew of three to Joppa. Well, the next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up to the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, which would have been typical. And then he became very hungry. I just love the humanity here, you know? He's, he's like, you know, I like praying, but man, my stomach's growling. And so he wanted to eat, and while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And notice how God accommodates his his, um, his message to Peter to the the thing that would probably be most on his mind, which was food. So he saw heaven opened. He fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners descending to him and let down to the earth. And it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said very vehemently, by the way, in the original language, Not so, Lord. I'm too holy for that. For I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Amongst these animals, there would have been uh, animals that Israel could eat, but as they were separated to the Lord, there would have been animals that they could not have eaten. They would have been called unclean. And Peter's like, nope, I'm a good Jew, and I don't do that stuff. And a voice spoke to him again the second time, and we can assume a third time. You listen up, son. You listen to me, holy, holy Peter, Peter, thou oh so holy What God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, in the next section, you're going to realize Peter started to know something. I have questions about what he really knew, but talk about that in a moment. While Peter wondered within himself, what in the heck just happened to me? Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had uh, asked around about Simon's house, and they stood before the gate, and they called and said, hey, is Simon inside? Is Peter there? And Peter thought about the vision. And while he was thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, these three men are seeking you. Go down, go with them. Don't doubt a thing, for I have sent them. And then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I'm the one you seek. What, what, what do you want? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, the Roman centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews was divinely instructed by an angel to summon you to his house and hear words from you. So, Peter invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them and some brothers from Joppa accompanied him. So, he took a crew to be with the crew from Caesarea and went to Caesarea. Now, when they got to Caesarea, verse 24, Cornelius was waiting for them. And man, he had called together his cousins and his aunties. And I mean, the whole crew was there, plus some close friends. And Peter was coming in, and Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter said, dude, stand up. I'm just a guy. And as he talked with him, he went in and found the whole crew. And he said to them, look, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me, this is how I read these words from Peter. God has shown me that I shouldn't call any man common or unclean, I'll tell you why later, that I think he, he's having an intellectual conversion here. I just don't, I'm not sure where his heart is. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent. I, I asked then, what have, what have you sent for me to do? And so 30 through 33, Cornelius just recounts the story. So let's pick it up again in verse 34. So um, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God doesn't show any partiality but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. In other words, he sees them and he wants them. He starts moving toward them. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, and he said, this is the word I'm gonna give to you. The word which God sent to us, Israel, Abraham's children, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began in Galilee after the baptism which John, uh, his cousin preached, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy Spirit, with power. He went about doing good. He healed everyone who was oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And we are his witnesses, man. We saw it, man. We're not just telling you what somebody else said 14,000 years ago. We saw all of this go down, what he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. We saw the crucifixion. And then God raised him up on the third day and showed him openly. By the way, this is the seventh sermon in Acts. And the seventh time that the main theme of the sermon in Acts is, this ain't just no normal prophet, man. He died and came back from the dead. And we saw him. He didn't show himself to all the people, 41 says, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to those of us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead to show that he wasn't a ghost. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify, it's he, he's the one. There's no other, he's not one of the many. He's the one who is ordained by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him, whoever, 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 wherever, believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard that word and Those of the circumcision, the Jews that had come with uh, a Peter, who were you know all about you, you know were believers in Jesus, but man, you got to be circumcised, you got to eat the right stuff, you got to keep the Jewish law. They were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. They're out. Wait, are they in? Are they out? What the heck is going on here? For they heard them speak with the same tongues that were spoken in Jerusalem, which connected them with those folk. And they heard them magnify God. And then Peter answered, well, pretty clear to me. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Can anybody say that these folk who used to be out aren't now in? And then he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And then, don't miss this phrase, then those Gentiles... Asked Peter to stay with them a few days. You may be seated. Isn't that a story? Yikes. Here are the three things. There's a zillion things. Here are the three that I think have to be spoken this morning. First of all, God desperately loves all and both sees and comes to all, seeks all who are truly seeking him. What you have to understand about Cornelius is he was a Roman centurion, which means that, according to F.F. Bruce in his commentary on Acts, he was a commander of about 100 men. He was the backbone of the Roman army. The centurions were like the lieutenants, uh, that had, they, they were boots on the ground, but they had quite a bit of, of authority over, over the individuals. Uh, you know, if a lieutenant spoke and said, We're going to war, we're going to do this thing, they had that power. So that means that Cornelius was not a normal Gentile. He was a Gentile who would, be, would have been a military leader, he would have been a part of the violent arm of the most oppressive nation on the planet in all of history that controlled people by crucifying them. And by the way, many, many in Israel in that day who jacked around with the system were crucified. Jesus wasn't the first crucified Jewish victim. This guy, it remember at Jesus' crucifixion? Remember it said there was a centurion standing there who looked up and saw the way Jesus died and said, truly, this must be the Son of God. Well, this centurion wasn't that centurion, probably not that centurion, but likely would have literally, before he uh, got with Israel's God, he likely would have been one of those who would run a sword through somebody in a community for lipping off to the wrong person that was in power who would have stood there pounding nails into the flesh of of a Jew who had messed with the Roman system. This wasn't a, uh, a normal Gentile. This was a Gentile that of all the Gentiles who were already out, that should have been out, this should have been the most out of the out of the in-group Gentiles. Well, at some point on his journey, this Roman centurion had looked at the Roman pantheon of gods. You know, you've studied this, didn't you, in like eighth grade? You know, you've got Jupiter, who is kind of the head of all the gods. The Greek corresponding god is Zeus. And then you have Mars... And he's the God of war. The corresponding Greek guard was, God was Ares. Very good. And then you have Diana, the goddess of the hunt. And then you have Artemis, exactly, in the Greek uh, uh, pantheon. You've got Venus, you've got Aphrodite. So at some point, he We try, yep. Now I can be a televangelist. Where's Chris? Where's Chris Turner? Oh, give me a handkerchief, man. I'm ready to rock and roll here. <laughs> he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> Just teasing. Oh my gosh. Are we good now? Ringing just a little bit. Maybe. There we go. So, so, a little ringy, but I'm just going to hold it here and do the best I can, all right? So at some point, Cornelius looked at all these gods, and this is what he said. My gut's telling me they're not real. And probably because he saw the devotion of the true worshipers, of the true God of Israel, they started to impact him by their authenticity. And they said, he said, this guy said, uh, who'd been raised polytheistic and taught that those gods, who were not even gods of good character, they had power over everything they lived in, many... People that were religious lived in fear. He looked at the God of Israel and said, he must be the true God. And he started to act upon that faith. And the true God knew nothing about Jesus, knew nothing about his Messiahship. Started to act on that faith. Started to give away his money. Doesn't that sound like God? Generously helping everyone who needs help. And um, here's what Acts 10.4 says. Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Our God saw him. A no account Gentile. And I'm not saying that because I believe that, but that would have been what the Jewish community would have believed. He wasn't just out because he wasn't Jewish. He was way out because he was a Roman who had killed some of their brothers and sisters, most likely. Our God of those Jewish people saw him that's back on pardon me hello Okay. righty then. Jim Carrey said. <clears throat> okay, are w'e good. So this is what I. Little hot, maybe. This is what I. Um, this is what I want us to hear this morning. The God who saw this guy who was the most marginalized, the most potentially marginalized human being, whose heart had just started to come alive toward the true God, our God saw him because our God is always looking for those folk, all of them. So in Genesis 12, that's why he said to Abraham, or Abram, I'm gonna build of you a great nation, and it's going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. That's why in Isaiah, the prophet who got what God said to Abraham, said in a passage like Isaiah 55, everyone, everyone who thirsts may come to the waters and drink. Quoted again in Revelation 21, by the way. That's why in Luke 14, in the great parable of the wedding feast, our Jesus who said, I've come to show you who the Father really is. In that great parable, he said, go out into the streets and get the poor, and get the maimed, and get the lame, and get the blind. Was he being condescending? No, those were the marginalized of that day. And he said, there's there's room for more. There's always room for more. In fact, there's room for everyone that I want to be with me, and I want everyone to be with me. So don't just sit here and wait for those who are coming. Go out and get those that nobody else would touch, and bring them in so that they can know my love and be a part of my family. That's why in Acts 17, which we'll get to in a few months, uh, Paul, when he's with the religious folk, at Athens on Mars Hill talking about the philosophical nature of worshiping God. He says, our God is the one who puts every single human being in the exact place where he wants them to be. Why? So that they might grope for him and seek him and find him because he is not far from each one of us. So have you ever worried, because I worry about this all the time when I'm not tuned into this truth, do you ever worry about those who have never heard? Who Those who have a stumbling block of some type, maybe they were raised a certain way. Don't you ever get accused of, well, of course you believe in Jesus, that's where you were raised. And if we were raised that way, sometimes that's a hard thing uh, to speak against. I can't deny that I was raised that way. But at the same point in time, that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a heart for all those who were not raised that way and is not waiting for them to kind of get with the program as we see the program. He's only waiting. Look, Cornelius didn't believe in Jesus yet. Cornelius had had not sought out the apostolic hands of blessing. He was just a guy who said, you know what? This ain't it. There's got to be something else. His heart had just turned and said, This must be the true God. And the minute God saw his, God had his eyes on Cornelius from the beginning of his journey on the planet, and the minute his heart turned toward him, like the father who saw the son coming back from the far country, his little beady head just coming back up over the horizon, he ran to meet him. This is the prodigal son right here. In fact, I think this is a template for all who come to Christ. How do you think you came to Christ? You get your act together and kind of start saying, I'm, I'm going to be on a journey. It's a very purposeful journey and I'm going to find Jesus. Or did you have a jacked up life whether you were five years old or 55 years old and in some way thought this ain't working, this ain't working, this ain't working and maybe your heart just went like this and if you look back, you can see and then God came for me because God saw me and God God wanted me. He wanted me even though I had run people through. He wanted me even though I had pounded the nails of crucifixion into some of his innocent sons and daughters. He wanted me. And so when he saw my heart, simply say, I'm ready. He wasn't going to force us. He wasn't going to make us. He wasn't going to coerce us. He gives us free will because love, if it's going to be about love, it's got to be about us choosing. But the minute we take a step... He's out the door of that house, running down the lane, girding up his loins, getting ready, not to say, get on your knees and tell me how bad you've been, but to kill the fatted calf for us. That's the way our Father is. Sometimes you do Luke 15 and you go, I wish there was more of that in the Bible. Here it is. Here it is. Honestly... And you know me well enough to know that, because I tell you about it all the time, I've got baggage that I probably will wrestle with until until I die. In fact, I was saying to the Lord the other day, after being married 40 years, after being a Christian for a follower of Jesus since I was five, so that's 58 years, I thought that I'd be further along, to be quite frank. I just thought I'd be further along. But I think if you don't mind me within that context saying something that really, really disturbs me is when I hear people that say they follow Jesus and follow the God that I believe in, the God who found me, the God who is watching from my heart just to turn a bit, when I hear them say something that makes me think that they're secretly glad that certain people aren't going to be with the Lord sometimes when you hear them make certain kind of marginalizing statements about what well, wouldn't be fair if they go, because look at what I've had to do to walk with Christ. It's been, if they get to get in, when I have said in the context of an audience that says, we believe in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace, what does the word grace mean? Unmerited. Unmer- Thank you, sister. Unmerited <laughs> favor. You know what the word unmerited means? No merit. Zero. So when I have intimated that, wouldn't it have been amazing if Adolf Hitler, who knew the gospel, the Lutheran church, though um, it was persecuted and it dropped out of sight except for the confessing church that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of, Luther's gospel of believe in Jesus and have everlasting life. Do you think Luther didn't know that truth? What if on the last night in that bunker, some of you are, I'm losing some of you right now. The brother killed 6 million Jews. Horror of horrors. I don't know if there will ever be another more horrible epic in American history. Well, I gotta say, that wasn't even American history. That was worldwide history. I'm thinking of the murder of, Thousands upon thousands of slaves in our own history. That wasn't European history. That's our history. So you've got all of this satanic stuff that takes people out that are, that are God's sons and daughters that he loves. And yet, if in that bunker Hitler's heart went like this, and he said, what have I done? And he started to turn toward God If what we're reading here, if you're really reading it and not sanitizing it and Christianizing it, if you're reading it like I'm reading it, then you and I will see Adolf Hitler in heaven. Wow. Well, Well, Rita, that is profound. If we know who we are, really, I'm Adolf Hitler. He's not another kind of human being, jacked up human being, jacked up down the road about a good piece from my jacked upness, but jacked up is jacked up. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. If if you found yourself today going, I don't know about Adolf Hitler, man. I'm not even sure about my... Two ex-husbands. How can I be sure about Adolf Hitler? And I'm not minimizing your pain if you've got a jacked-up ex-husband. I'm just saying, at some point, we've got to ask ourselves, is this our God or not? And we have to ask ourselves, if this isn't our God, then how did you and I get to Christ? Are you with me so far? Second thing, so the big question is, what is our true view of all the people our God loves? I'm not asking what your theologically correct understanding is. I'm asking what you and I really think. Deep down inside where we live, where we don't want to know what, we don't want people to know what we're really sometimes, what's really coming out of our gut. So you can look at this map, just to show you this is a real story from real history. You see on the, um, yeah. Well, there's Caesarea, where Cornelius comes from. comes right down the coast, Joppa, where Peter is. Remember, they'd all been in Jerusalem, but at the persecution, they'd all, they all fanned out. So Peter just somehow ended up in Joppa. So, um Cornelius' crew came down and got him from Joppa, and then they went back um, to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. And they, before they got there, of course, Peter got hungry. God gives him a vision about food. Peter rejects the vision three times. God replies three times, don't call unclean what I call clean. Look, can you and I who understand anything about Jewish history understand why Peter was a little confused? A little bit because there were all these laws that somehow kept Israel separated unto God. The purpose was not that to eat ham today on Mother's Day is a real sin. The purpose was to somehow separate them from the other folk who were worshiping all these gods. They had rules and rituals to have practices that made them special to the Lord. But I think Peter forgot what happened with Jesus back in Mark 7, Peter was right there. Remember, the Pharisees were ragging on Jesus' disciples because they would go into the marketplace and buy food and they didn't wash their hands right. And then they'd go put that food in some utensils that hadn't been cleansed right, according to Jewish law. And the Pharisees, like, were all up in their business. Remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7? He says, there it is. There's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. The things which come out of him, that's where sin lives. Those are the things that defile a man. I think Peter just tuned out. I think Peter forgot one of the things that God said back in Deuteronomy when he was bringing the children of Israel into the promised land. He says, Israel, the Lord didn't set his love on you nor choose you because you were more a number than any other people. You didn't have a pedigree. I didn't look at you and say, whoa, now there is the pick of the litter. You know, when we got Sadie, Sadie was the last dog that nobody wanted. And what a pumpkin, man. That lady put that dog in my arms and she was just a puppy, a Labrador puppy. I looked over at Carla and said, what do I do now? Well, eight years later, I can tell you what I did. And we still have that little doggie, and we're trying to keep her alive right now. But um, she was the runt. Nobody wanted her. And God basically tells Israel, you were the runt. Everybody's a runt compared to my holiness. I didn't pick you because you weren't a runt. I pick you because I loved you. Because I taught, it. just because I do, not because you've got the list, not because your hair's done right. I think Peter... You know how we all can check out? We can read stuff and then just say, ah, yeah, but this is the verse I really want to focus on because it appeals to something inside us that we need at the moment. Peter had left all that behind. He had forgotten that what what God was doing with those laws that separated the Gentiles from the Jews and separated their practices from the Gentile practices was not because the Jews were better than or that the Jews were loved and the other folk weren't loved. In fact, what God is trying to say to Peter in this text is that your ethnicity and your race, being a Jew and being a practicing Jew, your religion, has caused you to forget my heart. And my heart is in love with every last person. That's it. You have gotten the law. You've... You've missed the point of even the laws themselves. And the laws have become the thing and have caused you to list miss my greatest prize, which is every human being that's living on the planet. So here's the question this morning. What is our real view of the all? Especially folks who are different from us, who bother us, that we don't understand. How are we, maybe even very subtly, calling unclean those who God calls clean? If we ever find ourselves saying the phrase, it just leaks out of us. It just leaks. Sometimes it's even, it's unconscious, but that means it's there. Those It could be those white folks, those black folks, those Latino folks, or if you're Latino, it could be those Puerto Rican folks, those Mexican folks, those El Salvadoran folks. It could be those poor folks, those rich folks, those gay folks, those straight folks, those Presbyterian folks. You know how they are those Baptist folks, those city folks, those suburban folks, those Republican folks, those Democrat folks. I don't know if this is true or not. My gut's telling me it is. I think, I think at hope that our ethos has been so much about receiving all people I've been asking myself over the last five years, why have we not grown more numerically? Look, I came from a church that grew to 2,000, so it's not like my ego needs that. I've had to deal with that. You know, you you pastor a church, it grows to 2,000. You pastor a church, and over 15 years, it grows to 200, and it just stays there. I've had to deal with that. It's not really about me, it's not about any particular program or any particular leader. I think it might be about this. I don't know. See, I'm just, I'm just your brother. See if this matters. See if this makes sense to you. I wonder if at some points we haven't gotten a little bit, oh yeah, we're about all people. But the church is supposed to grow according to this template, not with people who already know they're accepted, Not with people who happen to be at the church of what's happening now down the road that has hurt their feelings and maybe really hurt their feelings. And so they come to a new church and we go, look, we have a new member. They found us, we're so glad. And we are glad. If you've come from wounding places, we're glad that you find this to be a healing place. But I'm saying, this template says, on balance, the church is to be about us so dealing with where somewhere in our spirits We are looking at those that some might call unclean. And we've kind of picked up that ethos and subtly, instead of getting up from our bed in Joppa and going as far as we need to go to Caesarea, as uncomfortable as it might be, to get with folk that don't know that there's a God who loves them. God could have just taken Cornelius and lifted him up and brought him into the Jerusalem church and put him down there and supernaturally, like he did with Philip and the the Ethiopian eunuch, but instead he says, that's not the way I work. I change the hearts of my people. To have my heart, I already see the one whose heart is open to me, so I got to get your heart to be like my heart so you can get up out of your complacency and go get the folk that don't yet know there's any place for them to be. I think the reason we haven't grown as much is because there's a whole lot of folk hovering right around us that maybe. And I put myself in this category that I have very subtly said, subtly, I know too much theology to say it verbally, subtly, unclean. Got checked this morning. Who might it be for you? Might be your cousin Ted, who you just cannot stand. Might be your next door neighbor who is a curmudgeonly type that you just thought, you know, I don't want to be too aggressive, and plus, I just don't like him. Maybe up in that house, Ted has come to the end. Maybe he said, this can't be it. Maybe there's something else, and he's literally sitting there waiting for Peter to come and to tell him the good news that he's accepted in the beloved one named Jesus Christ. who Might it be for you? I've had to wrestle with this all week long. For me, who might it be for you? One last thought. Our journey to receiving all people calls not just for a change of our minds, but of our hearts. When Peter arrives, he shares the simple good news. I just want to put it up there one more time. Acts 10, 43, to him all the prophets witness that whoever believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins. Not believes and joins the church. Not believes and stops smoking. Not believes. It's by grace. It's by grace. You simply look at Jesus and say, with the little piece of faith I have, yes. I even wonder sometimes if our view of certain people causes us to share the gospel a little bit more thickly than this. Like, Yes, it's by grace, but you have this thing, and uh, this thing, it's kind of obvious, and you probably need to take care of this thing. Did God ask you to take care of a thing? No. <laughs> what if we just said, Here's the great news. Jesus came to freely offer us life. Yeah, but I, I I know, you have your but-eyes, but I had my but-eyes. Let me tell you my list of but-eyes, but I'm just telling you, he took me right where I was. He didn't leave me there, but he took me right where I was. And all he asked of me was to believe. And you've heard me preach this before, believing is a... It doesn't mean believe and do good works. It means believe. The good works may be a fruit of the belief, but they're not front-loaded into the belief. Otherwise, it's not belief anyway. Romans says this. If it's faith, it's not of works. If it's works, it's not of faith. Just believe. He told the Gentiles. He didn't say, now let's unpack your Gentileness. Because let me tell you, read about Gentile life jacked up. He didn't say, look, we got to go through this, meet offered to idols. Cornelius, have you listed all the things you did to Jewish folk because you could as a Roman? Have you made amends? Mm-hmm. He just said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will have forgiveness of all your sins. Yeah. Peter, in the context of sharing this gospel, I think communicates that he has had in his dealings with God in this context, a theological change of mind. He makes a couple of theological statements that we read earlier. I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Do you, do you see how he's saying that? I'm making a little judgment here. I think he had a ch- theological change of mind. I don't, I don't know what was in his heart toward Cornelius and his crew. I think many of us have made theological changes of mind. That's why we're here, because you have to hear this all the time, because it's the core of the gospel. If you hadn't had a theological change of mind, you'd probably go, I'm out of here, man. Those folk are on a, they're on a tear towards something I don't even want to hear. But the question is, what's going on in here? What's hidden in here? So this is what I think's happened. With this, I close, but just see if this makes sense to you. In 1048, it says... Then those Gentiles asked him to stay with them a few days. Now, you know what that meant? <laughs> he could, this is what he had done in my estimation. Okay, you're right, God, I'm wrong. Uh, you're no respecter of persons. I shouldn't call clean unclean what you call clean. Boom, 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 boom. Caesarea, we're one in the spirit, one in the Lord, kumbaya, Pepsi generation, whatever. If you believe in Jesus, you have remission of sins. Whew, I'm out of here. Exit stage left, back to Jewish land. I'm uncomfortable with all this Gentile stuff. There's Gentile air in this house, man. They're Gentile cooties everywhere I look. They're Gentile food, man. Those folk have sausage cooking on a stove right this minute. My nostrils are unclean now, man. I know, Lord. I know what you said, but Lord... And they asked him to stay a few days. If I could pause time, if I could make a movie on this, there'd be a pause in time. Peter's standing there going, what did they just ask me? Right? I think his mind, you might have heard me preach this before, but I don't know if you've ever seen this connection, went back to John 4 where the, gospel, where the disciples had just been with who? Another marginalized group, the Samaritans. And when they got done preaching the gospel of the Samaritans, what did the Samaritans ask Jesus? They asked him to remain alongside them, and he remained two days. Look at, these are my translations of the Greek text, but look at the look at the similarity. They asked, who asked? A marginalized group asked him, Jesus, Peter, to remain, same Greek word used in both places, several days. I don't know if the authors knew what they were doing when they did this. I think the Holy Spirit knew what he was doing. This is just too... I'd write, I'd write a master's thesis on this. I, I, I believe in it that strongly. I think Peter sat there and he saw Jesus in John 4 outside of that village. And he saw Jesus say, of course I will. And I think he knew this was a moment of truth. I believe the right stuff. But the proof that I'm about the right stuff is gonna happen right now. Am I willing to hang with these human beings and let this truth right here go right down into my heart or I can live it out for the sake of the gospel? If I'm going to follow the real Jesus, that's what he did. That's what I got to do. I can't play anymore. Now, you might say, well, how do we know what happened to him? And Paul doesn't comment or Luke doesn't comment. Well, if you go to Acts 11 right afterward, I won't take time to read the speech, but he vehemently defends To the Judaizers, the circumcisers, who came to him and said, start talking about them. You can see it in verse uh, 3. You went into uncircumcised men and ate with them, those. And Peter just about loses his stuff in defending his new brothers and sisters. Not just in his head, but here. And then if you go to Acts 15, I'll let you read it later. When they were making the big decision in the early church, are we gonna let Gentiles in? Do you see how big this is? Are, you going, are we gonna defy a couple thousand years of history? We, we maybe have gotten it screwed up, but we thought the Jews are for the Jews. We might reach out to some proselytes, but gee, many Christmas, this is gonna ruin everything. So James, the half-brother of Jesus, was literally saying, what are we gonna do? And Peter stands up in Acts 15 and he said, I'll tell you what we're gonna do. The guy who was racist in Acts 9 is the defender of the Gentiles in Acts 15 with vocal vehemence. We wouldn't be a Jewish Gentile community today if Peter wouldn't have stood up. And I think he stood up because of what happened in his heart during the few days he spent with Cornelius, his wife, and those little Gentile cootie bearing kids. In fact, one last verse. Isn't it Peter that wrote these words? And how many times have we hammered this in the last few uh, years? Finally, all of you be of one mind, Jew and Gentile, get together. And then this is the first step. Remember the word translated compassion? It's the word Sumpathes. Remember that? Sum meaning with, pathes meaning. You didn't remember. I'm so hurt. Pathes meaning feel. I believe that everyone is supposed to be in the body of Christ. I believe it. I perceive that God has no respect for persons. I think Peter wrote this verse years later in his letter out of his own experience of spending a few days with a formerly hated and then intellectually only accepted Gentile family. And as he sat with them and felt their hearts, the Holy Spirit did something in their heart, in his heart, that caused him to not look at Gentiles as Gentiles anymore, but as his brothers and sisters under one God through Jesus Christ, their Lord. If you and I have something in our head that isn't quite yet in our hearts, and we can, if the Holy Spirit has said today, it might be that guy, might be her, might be that group, I'm gonna say today, if we wanna get the head truth that we believe down into here, we gotta stay a few days with some folks that we heretofore have thought Yeah, maybe you need to be with us, but here, I can't abide. Us staying a few days will bring the truth of God's heart for all people into our hearts. Jesus the healer will be there doing his work. We'll come away knowing folk and loving folk and the way God loves them, seeing them the way God loves them. Stay a few days. Stay a few days. I believe the health and the future of Hope Community and generally speaking, the body of Christ in America depends on this.